Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. Well, it's the end of the work week, which means it's time for our Friday News Roundup. He uh, served eight years in jail. We uh, want to express our most profound and everlasting gratitude to President Trump. It was a prosecution by the same people, Comey, Fitzpatrick, the same group. I'm returning home today from a long exile, a free political prisoner. I saw that, and I did commute his sentence. I broke no laws. I crossed no line. I get your uh, point, I'm sir. not you. Uh, in a position where... I I want to admit to anything I did wrong because I didn't. Joining me now to break down that story and more are WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney, WTTW political correspondent Amanda Vinicky, and Better Government Association president and CEO David Grising. Happy Friday, everybody. Okay, so (laughs) let's start with the story that dominated local news this week. Former Illinois Governor Rob Lagojevich was released from prison Tuesday after President Donald Trump commuted his 14-year sentence. For anyone who may have possibly managed to not see this story, Amanda, quick rundown. What can you tell us about it? Is that possible? Is it I possible, don't right? know. Perhaps if you're living on Mars and just landed on planet Chicago. Um, <laughs> so this is something, of course, that President Donald Trump had seemingly been flirting with for quite a while. And lo and behold, this time he actually came through and has commuted. It took a commutation action. This does mean that... Um, Rod Blagojevich still has a record. He was still convicted. It doesn't wipe it. It's not a pardon. But, of course, he's free. He's back. And, in fact, as terms of his release, he can't leave northern Illinois. So he is going to be in Chicago. The expectation is that we are going to be seeing a whole lot more of him. And this is after a clearly calculated campaign by the governor and particularly former First Lady Patty Blagojevich to appeal to President Trump and on the heels of other similar actions by Trump and timing when Trump ally Roger Stone just was sentenced. So perhaps the the, the first in many such actions. But um, for Illinoisans, it means that their ex-governor, one who I think we need to point out time and time again, may be a celebrity after having starred with President Trump pre his White House days on the show The Apprentice was removed from office. And that was an action that members of both parties took in quick action. And they wanted him out. He was kicked out of government after a whole series of um, corruption. And, he's and not just the hold, corruption he was sentenced for. He's unable to hold state office. Right. Dave Grising, you know, this comes at the in the midst of this widespread federal corruption probe in, in Springfield. What do you make of the timing of this decision, what impact could it have on efforts to end corruption in the state? Because we heard calls from Republicans right away pushing back on this decision and also saying, like, hey, guys, we've got a bigger problem here in Springfield. Well, and the Democrats haven't exactly rallied around uh, Rod Blagojevich either. He is he is a real pariah in politics. You pointed out he can't run for state office. He can run for federal office. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see if he would possibly run for something again. He's probably going to try to get a radio show, Jen, so you should keep your eye out on that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um, as regards the broader spectrum of corruption in the state of Illinois and in Chicago, 
despite his protestations that he is a political prisoner, he is a convicted felon. He, as people on your air won't need to be reminded, he held up Children's Memorial Hospital for uh, money that held up state funds in order to get political contributions. He tried to sell President Barack Obama's Senate seat um, to multiple people. As Governor Pritzker recalls um, bitterly, he was caught on tape not doing anything illegal, but just scheming to possibly put Pritzker in as uh, the state treasurer, or possibly there was some talk at one point he asked, well, well, JB, do you have a law license? Because maybe you could be attorney general. He's a schemer. He's a felon. It's too bad that he's stuck in Illinois. It's too bad that the terms were not to keep him out of the state of Illinois. That might have been better for our benefit, because unfortunately, we're going to be hear- hearing a lot from Rob Ogoyevich still. Well, on Wednesday, we did hear from him again. He held a homecoming news conference outside his north side home, uh, surrounded by family and supporters. He spoke for about 20 minutes in front of the same home where he was arrested by federal agents back in 2008. Let's listen. We uh, want to express our most profound and everlasting gratitude to President Trump. How do you properly thank someone who's given you back the freedom that was stolen from you? Uh, He didn't have to do this. He's a Republican president. I was a Democratic governor. And doing this does nothing to help his politics. Pretty unrepentant Blagojevich there saying he was a political prisoner, also referring to himself a little later in in that press conference as a Trumpocrat. David, what were your major takeaways? Well, I mean, I spent a little time going back and looking at the transcript from his sentencing. He appeared in front of Judge James Zagel and and was very contrite when he was seeking mercy from Zagel about, you know, trying to get a softer sentence. He said, I, basically, he said, I screwed up as governor and I take full responsibility. Well, that's not the voice we heard when he appeared before that group of probably 250 supporters outside of his house. I think the real interesting question is, you know, we hear him talking about being a Trumpocrat. You know, what what does the future hold for Rod Blagojevich? And I think given how Donald Trump over his entire lifetime has been, you know, he's a very transactional person, you know, does he hand things like this out and, and you know, with the expectation that he get nothing in return? I mean, I, I could see a scenario where Rod, with his very skilled oratorical abilities, could, could be a, a an effective campaign surrogate for, for Rod Blagojevich, or for Donald Trump, I mean. Well, and I think that's where it's also incumbent on the media. Of course, we need to be there for that homecoming press conference. You saw journalists be there at the airport. People want to know. He's a major figure. It was historic, his, again, impeachment and removal from office as Illinois' governor. But um, to me, it's also a question of, okay, again, let's recognize he was convicted by a jury, sentenced by a judge. We know what he did. We've read the transcripts, heard and read transcripts of the FBI phone calls of that scheming. And again, that doesn't take into account what apparently the attorney general had been looking at in terms of endemic hiring fraud and appointments and further scheming by Blagojevich. Okay, so now what sort of platform do we give him? We can't help what perhaps corporations may or may not hire him to be a radio show host, to be a pundit. But um, to me, this is also an opportunity for the media to be introspective in terms of at what points do we grant interviews, go to him. Is he Mm -hmm. an expert on prison sentencing? Yeah, I mean, he he, he served. But there are plenty of other experts in that field who perhaps did not um, receive the same sort of special treatment favors. They don't have the celebrity that he had. And Jen, I think I know where you're about to go here. Well, Blagojevich told reporters that his future plans include fighting against what he believes is a, quote, corrupt criminal justice system. Here's a bit of him talking about that. I hope now, looking to the future, that I can draw from my life experience, particularly those over the last 
eight years in prison and 11 years since this all came to us and do something to try to fight to help people who've been wrongfully incarcerated or those, and this is probably the rule and not the exception, those who have been over-sentenced and try to do what I can to try to prove what is a broken, and I believe in many cases, a corrupt criminal justice system. David Grising, what do we know about Blagojevich's track record on criminal justice reform? Well, we know that he was unsympathetic to other people when he was governor, to people seeking sentence commutations and such. Uh, there was one uh, reference to him as uh, blockade Blagojevich or something like that, the <laughs> fact that he didn't process requests for leniency. Well, there's one, yeah. one interesting case involving the Oak Park mayor who uh, he, he had a conviction in, in the early 90s. It was a tax-related thing, and, and uh, Blagojevich pardoned him for that crime. And it was interesting because I remember at the Sun-Times I, I – dove into that a little bit. And of course, campaign contributions were involved from from different parties related to the mayor there. And so that that's the kind of background we have here. Because on the opposite end, it seemed as if he didn't partake much of interest in that because he was known to be, frankly, quite lazy as a governor, very active as a campaigner and a handshaker, but not particularly involved with the nitty gritty of government, such as going through those requests. And it, it can be. And in fact, we saw this with his successor, Pat Quinn. I mean, it's um, in prior times, frankly, in throughout politics, that it can be a danger. OK, you, you let somebody go. What does that mean? Is that a black mark on his political record. That may be why I think those are plenty of the questions that need to be asked of him if, again, journalists do have an opportunity for a one-on-one with Bogoyevich. There are some very hard questions as how what has he now seen, seen the light of that he did not see as governor because it's not as if at the time he was not asked about it, Dave. I mean, there were stories on the record he had built up, the big backlog in requests. And I would think that his his hope to be an advocate for sentencing reform, I would hope that the, the community, as Amanda was indicating earlier, the community of people who already are fighting legitimately so for reforms of criminal justice, I would hope that they're not particularly eager to have him because he's a very flawed spokesperson for that legitimate movement. And so when you look at sentencing reform or other aspects of kind of not having people stay longer than needed in jail, he clearly was convicted of a crime and he's not an appropriate sort of spokesperson. Go ahead. You know, I still think that that on this criminal justice aspect, though, you know, Trump has made it a point politically of trying to zero in on African-American voters because to him the strategy is if you can sort of tamp down turnout among African-Americans, that hurts Democrats, whoever is going to run against him. I remember as a candidate, Rod Blagojevich would light up black churches especially. He's such a great speaker. And these places would just freaking, you know, blow up because they were so enamored with him. And I could see him easily falling into that kind of role. I could also see him, even though, as Amanda pointed out, if he is confined to, to northern Illinois, he still could go into a, a, a television studio here and be the token Democrat on Fox News if he chose to on a nightly basis, be talking to, to all sorts of people out across the country talking about these issues and how great Trump was. Because outside the House, if you listen to, the spe- to what he said for that 20 minutes without taking questions – it almost sort of looked like a campaign commercial for Donald Trump. But it would be curious to see how he really plays with black voters, because I think (laughs) the hope of using him as a surrogate, black voters here in Illinois have read the same stories, heard the same accounts of corruption as anybody else in the state, and whether or not that would play. And let's remember, too, no voting block is monolithic. There's a lot of 
a, a lot of uh, movement within those voting blocks. People have strong opinions about these things. And seeing someone as Rod Blagojevich as a legitimate spokesperson for the criminal justice movement. Uh, I got, you know, I got some questions about people, that. I've talked to people that say they like him. They believe his sentence was sure. too long. And these are individuals that aren't particularly you know, keyed into the political world. I will add that outside of, of course, Trump and the presidential campaign, this is a conversation set to play out in Illinois, period, because it has been one of Governor J.B. Pritzker's priorities and goals is taking a look at prison sentencing and perhaps in, in particular shortening the length of those terms, even again, former Governor Bruce Rauner had his heart set and began to kind of take down the population in Illinois prisons. So it's a conversation we will be having, period. Really quickly, I want to remind folks you're listening to the Friday News Roundup here on Reset when we break down the biggest news of the week. Our panel today, WBEZ's Dave McKinney. We've got Amanda Vinicky of WTTW and David Greising of the Better Government Association. Leaders from both parties have condemned President Trump's commutation of Blagojevich. Here's a bit of Illinois House Leader Jim Durkin speaking to reporters on Tuesday. I was involved uh, firsthand with the impeachment efforts and uh, I saw a governor who uh, was rogue on steroids. He was a person that was not, didn't care about the state of Illinois, cared about his own ambition. Why should he get special treatment than some other people that have been sitting in the Department of Corrections for drug offenses, for, you know, are getting 30, 40-year drug sentences, but they're never going to see the light of day or any type of uh, relief from this president? It's just because of the celebrity of Rob Blagojevich. Dave Greising, could this have an impact on the GOP in Illinois? Well, it certainly gives them something to uh, remind people about uh, the record of corruption. Of course, they have in their own closet issues with regard to one of their own, George Ryan having gone to jail. I don't think that it gives them that much to go with. The Pritzker tapes have already been out there, so J.B. Pritzker doesn't necessarily get tainted any further than has already been the case, although it was evident in comments uh, that he made yesterday that he, you know, he's sensitive to, the, to that connection. It would be too bad if it does undermine the overall issue of sentencing reform, which is legitimate, um, if this is pointed to as an abuse of, of justice, the fact that Blago got out. Um, I'm not sure ultimately how this finally will pay out. Well, State Senator Julie Morrison, a Democrat from Lake Forest, said this commutation is another reason ethics reform must be passed at both the state and federal level. Amanda, is ethics reform a focus of the spring legislative session here in Illinois? Oh, yeah, it's got to be. And it was before. Blagojevich was back in Illinois, left Colorado. It was always going to be a priority. You do have a commission that is still looking at this. They have until the end of March to come forward with a path of recommendations. And that really, however, is going to be oriented towards, for example, lobbying interests. There's a whole lot of ethics reform, I think, that Illinois lawmakers could stand to do something about, as you likewise hear, however, even including from Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan, by the way, there's plenty that is already a legal. And of course, we're seeing a lot of legislators go to court, face indictment for things that, like bribery, have no new laws necessary. It's just a matter of acting in an ethical manner. Well, Dave McKinney, speaking of the legislative session, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot was in Springfield this week to lobby for a Chicago casino. Quickly remind us, what is Lightfoot asking lawmakers to do? Well, when the General Assembly uh, passed and Governor Pritzker enacted this gambling expansion program last year that paved the way for a Chicago casino, the mayor and her allies were quick to point out that, you know, look, the, the tax structure is so onerous that we're not going to get anybody to come in and run this thing. And so she's in Springfield trying to, to make it 
you know, basically get them to restructure the taxation piece of this for a Chicago casino in order to maybe draw somebody in here. Now, I think it's it's very, a very difficult environment to get this stuff done because you think about uh, state representative, former state representative uh, Luis Arroyo. I mean, he was charged here as a result of, you know, talking about some sort of gambling piece of things. So I think there's a wariness for people to wade back into this. And plus, you know, it's it, put the thing out to bid and, and, and see what happens. That would strengthen the, the charge here. There's also a little bit of a Chicago versus downstate issue going with regard to Lightfoot's effort to get a, a sweeter deal. She's trying to split that by uh, suggesting they look at the one-time payment that any casino would have to make and stretching out the repayment period of the uh, one-time license reconciliation fee is what they call it. Uh, That adds up to a lot of money, and it may be a way to draw in. She believes she only needs six more votes to get this done that she would have had had she been able to get those six votes in the veto session. She would have gotten it through. So uh, she's close, but sometimes those last six votes are really hard to rally. So on Wednesday, Governor Pritzker unveiled his $42 billion spending plan in Springfield covers a lot of ground from the state's underfunded pension system to health care and education spending. Let's listen. This budget responsibly holds roughly $1.4 billion in reserve until we know the outcome in November. Because this reserve is so large, it inevitably cuts into some of the things that we all hold most dear. Increased funding for K-12 education, universities and community colleges, public safety, and other key investments. But as important as these investments are, we cannot responsibly spend for these priorities until we know with certainty what the state's revenue picture will be. Big takeaways, Amanda? Big takeaways are really this constitutional amendment that is going to be the thing, as you heard both uh, the the governor saying that more money for a lot of the needs that he has talked about from really a bulk of money for education to higher education is contingent upon voters passing that, giving he and the legislature the freedom to enact graduated income taxes. Um, Another key takeaway, of course, is how much this was overshadowed actually by the Blagojevich news. Uh, We can get back to the nitty-gritty of the budget, which is, of course, very important because Illinois' finances are still in disarray. Much of that, not all, of course, does date back, in fact, to Rod Blagojevich himself. But that homecoming press conference was held just an hour before Pritzker. So while this was supposed to be the big day for Illinois' next steps, instead it was another day of the the, the return of Blagojevich. And so I, I think that is something that needs to be pointed out. And as we talked about, of course, you do have Pritzker on those tapes. He wants everybody to forget about this FBI conversation. But who knows what, of course, Blagojevich may say about someone who was his former friend, phone buddy, and, you know, the political... I'm not sure what deals perhaps they came to, but at the very least, they they brainstormed about politics plenty. Well, Dave McKinney, lots of focus on this graduated income tax. Uh, What happens if J.B. Pritzker cannot get voters to say yes. Well, it's a big defeat for him, obviously. I mean, he, he campaigned on this. As you, as you mentioned there, he's, he's basically leveraging state government. And, 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 you know, it all depends on whether this passes or fails on, on whether he gets, uh, gets to do a lot of the initiatives that he wants to do. I think it's a gamble. He's got a plan A, a plan B. And, and I don't think that, that there is a guarantee. There's certainly no guarantee that this thing 
gets to the threshold that it needs to, to do to pass. And honestly, one of the things that I'm a little surprised at, I mean, we've seen the effects of television advertising and how, you know, Michael Bloomberg, for example, in the presidential field, you know, his numbers have skyrocketed as a result of being on television. Why and where are the ads that Pritzker has promised to help fund to promote this? It's not too early to be getting out the door with those. Well, they're going to be coming soon. And I think one of the interesting things in the speech was that he, the governor took a gratuitous swipe at the idea of a pension amendment because there's been a lot of questions raised about why didn't he offer pension reform at the same time he was going for this progressive tax. And part of that is an appeal to the labor vote that he is going to need in order to get the progressive tax passed. He's going to need to to rally working-class people, uh, labor people. The 97% of people whom he claims are not going to see an increase in taxes, et cetera, he's going to need to rally them around this because there will be a lot of money coming from the conservative side against this uh, progressive You know, tax. David, on pensions, though, it's it's so interesting. When you think about the amount of money, the outlay that Illinois is responsible for, for pensions, it's over $9 billion, close to $10 billion. And, and uh, you know, to put that 20%, into comparison, 20 to 25% that's like exactly, of the budget. That's exactly what it costs to run the city of Chicago for a year. You know, it puts it, puts it in perspective. And and so, you, you know, the, just the, the, the cost of that went up, half, you know, a half billion dollars this year. That, that there, there's enormous pressure on half them to do something Half billion dollars. They got 20% it, percent of yeah. the budget. And it, I'll say also, it's not just this year's budget that the governor needs the constitutional amendment for. I mean, this is his entire reputation, really. He's had a pretty easy slash good go of it thus far and success with his agenda. That all goes away, as does sort of his aura of being able to do that if, in fact, voters do vote this down. Dave Bryson, jump in here. Not only is his reelection probably uh, at stake here, but also there's talk about him having broader aspirations to become more of a national political figure. And if he can't get this passed, that, of course, would go down the tube. So he's going to throw everything he has at this. What was interesting about the fact that he's holding back spending in some of these key areas. He's pulling back a reserve. Right. That was really very interesting. It provides another incentive for people to support this. So that's kind of, he didn't state it this way, but that's sort of kind of hardball politics. So so just to explain, he's holding back, I think it was $1.4 billion in reserve just in case uh, voters don't vote in favor of the earned income tax credit. Right. And we could look at that and say, well, that's very prudent on his part because to spend that money, those are revenues that he can't count on unless this amendment gets passed because that would hit in twenty the January 1st of 2021, which is the second half of the fiscal year that he's budgeting for right now. So it's responsible on his part to hold back basically those, those money. But that also will make people aware of money that's not being spent on things like K through 12 education, safety issues, et cetera. It's a way to think of it. I'm going to say that's almost a sort of budget gimmick, though. I mean, he, he's holding back money that he doesn't have. So um, I think that was how it was presented. I'm going to call it more of a contingency or he is in a difficult position. I mean, you, of course, how do you do a budget when you don't know what voters are going to choose that could leave you with an extra $1.4 billion? So another way to look at it would be, OK, we're going to have a path. This is going to be the budget. If we get it, this is what we would do with that money. I I would say that's perhaps a uh, way to think about it. I I mean, there's such a distrust in government right now. I mean, you know, the the argument with this graduated income tax is that 97 percent or thereabouts are not going to pay more in taxes. But yet I think convincing the population in in a large turnout election that your taxes are not going to go up if we change things 
is a huge, huge lift. At this point in time, I'm highly skeptical well, that your, this thing To passes. your point on trust, once they are allowed to introduce a graduated tax, there's no telling what would happen in further years. And so, yeah, the top 3% are the ones paying in the next year or so, but very soon after that, you'll see many other people brought in, presumably, into a kind of a graduated levels at lower income levels. And that's what the fear is on the part of conservatives who oppose this, is that it would then leach down into just about everybody in the state. That's David Greising of the Better Government Association. Also with us, WBEZ's Dave McKinney and Amanda Vinicky of WTTW. We're, of course, having our Friday News Roundup when we break down the biggest state and Chicago stories of the week. There was an interesting moment. One of the biggest applause lines came when Pritzker talked about unified the state. Let's listen. Trying to separate Chicago from the rest of Illinois, whether rhetorically or literally, will not solve the economic challenges of downstate Illinois. Quite the opposite. So some of you need to stop pretending that one part of Illinois can exist without all of the others. We are one Illinois. Dave McKinney, what is he talking about here? I don't know. I mean, you know, we want to be a unified state, a blue state, a red state. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, it didn't it didn't resonate with me. It was one of the bigger applause lines, though, the yeah. kind of the one time really where everybody stood on their feet and applauded. Um, I couldn't, from my vantage point, sort of above all of this, see everybody. So presumably there may have been, particularly what's known as the Eastern Bloc of Republican members of the Illinois House that didn't applaud. And these are the individuals that want to make Chicago the 51st state. I, I think this speaks to sort of the divide that we were talking about in terms of how difficult it is for Mayor Lightfoot, despite being armed with a study that shows the onerous tax structure of a Chicago casino, not buy, getting buy-in from downstate legislators, because that that same sort of red versus blue that you see across the nation, we very much see in Illinois. There's almost like a dividing line within our own state. And you saw it with gambling last year. You saw it with cannabis. You see it coming up with any any one of these statewide initiatives that, hey, we're doing this for Chicago. Where's our benefit downstate? And also this presumption on the part of downstate legislatures that Chicago gets the better deal on all kinds of these things. And it's one of the reasons that Lightfoot is structuring her bid for the Chicago casino tax break to also include other uh, other areas as well. So we have just about two minutes left here, Dave McKinney, and I want to make sure we talk about a story you all broke. The politics desk here at WBEZ broke this morning. You reported in October that federal investigators were looking into alleged clout hiring practices at ComEd, but now there's a new batch of emails. Tell us what you found. About a month ago, we put in a request for records that would involve this lobbyist, Michael McLean, who is under federal scrutiny. What kind of interactions did he have with House Speaker Michael Madigan, one of his closest friends, uh, over decades of, of time in Springfield? And, you know, we finally got this batch of records uh, in, in two kind of waves that showed a lobbyist who was at the seat of power really, in the Illinois House. I mean, he, he was having conversations about the most sensitive political and, and policy decisions that were to be had. He was advocating on behalf of his lobbying clients one moment and then being close friend to, you know, all of the everyone in the room the next moment. And it was just kind of gravitating back and forth. I mean, I was surprised to see things like, you know, when, when it came to the, the inaugural addresses that Madigan delivers every two years, McLean was involved in, in helping edit those and, 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 you know, in effect, kind of putting words in the speaker's mouth or helping helping do that. So, I mean, he was brought in and, 
the main takeaway from all of this is that it, it showed that there was a direct pipeline between the Speaker of the House's office and ComEd when it came to jobs. And the conduit for that was Michael McLean, who was a lobbyist for ComEd. So more emails in there that talk, you know, talking about the close family relationship between the McLeans and Madigans. There's just a lot to un- unwind from all of that. That's WBEZ's Dave McKinney. Also joining us today, Amanda Vinicky of WTTW and David Greising of the Better Government Association. And that's a wrap for today's show. Look for a podcast to drop into your feed in time for Sunday breakfast. Over the next several weeks, we're highlighting Reset's Closing the Gap series. You won't want to miss it. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. And let's talk again soon.